Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bible with Bordeaux. Uh, it's been a long time. Been a very long time. A lot of things have been going on in my world. So uh, I kind of took a break for a little bit, and I'm back now. So uh, thank you for everybody who has been kind of waiting patiently or, you know, pretend you've been waiting patiently. So um, we are going to be finishing out the study of James today. So uh, we're going to be going through verses 7 to 20 to the end of the chapter and also the end of the book. So I hope this has been a fruitful study for you so far. If you haven't seen all the uh, episodes, they are in our the Bible with Bordeaux playlist on the Solomon Sports Podcast YouTube channel. There's also the Bible with Bordeaux podcast itself. So you can check out all those uh, all those other segments. I also have some Q&As over there and stuff like that. So I'm going to be trying to put out a little more content. I have a much better internet connection now, so everything that I do should be a little smoother than it has been in the past. That's kind of the goal for this channel is to improve uh, in order to make content that helps you. And, uh, and so we're going to go ahead and jump into the study of James. Uh, it might be a little normal or it might be a little longer than normal, being that I'm going to go ahead and finish out the book because if I didn't finish it out, then it'd be two shorter sections. And to be honest, I want to go ahead and start teaching the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is up next. I am teaching that currently in our Bible study here at my house whenever I teach that and um, every Friday. So I'm going to be taking that content and putting it up here as well. So you'll be getting it at the same time I'm teaching it, which helps me because I did this study a while ago. And, you know, I'm having to refresh myself on a lot of this stuff because when you study it fresh, it's easier to to make sure you can turn around and teach rather than having to go back and refresh yourself on maybe what did I mean by writing these notations in my notes. So, uh, so yeah, let's go ahead and jump into it. We're going to be starting with verse 7 in, uh, in James. So I'm going to bring up my Bible app here. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take like the, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your let yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And a prayer of faith will save the one who was sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is, and it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and months, and it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So, that is a lot. 
sorry, itchy nose. Um, that's a lot to cover, so we're going to go ahead and dive right into it just because I want to make sure we get it all taken care of. So, uh, so James goes from criticizing previously, uh, criticizing the rich, to comforting the restless. So the, the last section, we're talking about not being money hungry, don't be chasing after the riches of the world. And then he goes into uh, this portion of the scripture. And so he assumes that they should be eagerly and patiently waiting for the Lord's return. Now, Peter actually says the same thing in his letter. In 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, In the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And so, let me bring that up, sorry. Now I'm having to get back used to switching between my screens. So, uh, yep, there it is right there. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And so, uh, essentially... Patience. Patience is a virtue, right? Now, uh, so many think that, that these statements were fulfilled in AD 70 uh, when the destruction of the temple happened. This is also interesting enough around the same time the Sadducees kind of quit existing. They weren't around much after that. And, um, and so others think it's referring to the return of the Messiah that will happen in the end times at a later date. So it just depends on Honestly, this is a post-millennial, pre-millennial uh, difference. So the post-millennials believe that a lot of this stuff was already fulfilled in Revelation. And in Revelation talking about the end times. Uh, so pre-millennials believe it hasn't happened yet. And there's intelligible arguments on both sides. I don't necessarily have a, a stance on this particular topic. Uh, what we know as eschatology, the end of, end of things, the end of time. Um, I just don't know. I do not know. Um, I would probably lean post-millennial because I'm an optimist. So I like to think, hey, Christians are going to influence the world. We're going to do this, that, and the other. And pre-millennialists more have a concept of, okay, things are going to get really, 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 really bad. Christians are going to face all the persecution uh, terribly until Jesus comes back, essentially. Something like that. So um, I don't have a stance on which this is really regarding or what's the, the true, uh, the truth there because I just, it's hard to understand. So uh, James tells us to be patient while waiting for the return of the Lord. Now this, obviously, anybody can do, whether you're post-millennial or pre-millennial or mid-trib or whatever, right, uh, or all-millennial. So there's different viewpoints there, but the idea is whether you believe, no matter what you believe in your uh, your end times views, be patient. Be patient. This is this is key. Um, no one knows except the Father when the return will take place. Even the Son, Jesus, doesn't know. Jesus, as God, when he was on earth, he said only the Father knows. So I encourage you, don't trip. Don't flip out. Don't try to figure out when the end is coming. Uh, be patient. Serve. Do what you need to do every day. And have anticipation. But don't let that negate your service to your brother and sister in Christ or what we do here on the wor in the world. Uh, I believe that can be a, a huge uh, fault if we sit back and do nothing during our time, just assuming God's going to come back tomorrow. 
however, we should be ready for him to come back. Uh, in that, I mean, we should be active in our uh, in our daily walk as believers. So that that's what I believe. Uh, being patient in in awaiting his return, awaiting while doing something, not just sitting back and doing nothing. So, uh, so for that reason, we should live out as disciples of Christ until he returns. Now, patience builds perseverance and character. So we, we see this a lot in scripture. Uh, if we can learn to have patience during difficult times, we'll be less likely to attack others in our wait for relief. So, uh, and essentially when I'm, you know, whenever I was thinking about this, it's almost like being in a line at a concert that you're dying to go see the, the, the band or artist or, you know, whoever you're there to see. And you got this long line of people, everybody's waiting, everybody's waiting, uh, you know, and then for some people, their anxiety might be driving up a little bit. They might be getting stressed out. And so they can either take it out in a good way where they're just talking about their favorite songs, talking about their favorite experiences, what the music means to them, all that kind of good stuff. Or you can have the people that lash out at folks because they think they might be trying to skip them or, you know, they might be frustrating them, things like that. Uh, I think as Christians, we can be like this sometimes, like we're waiting for the Lord's return. And so we either are so anticipating that we're happy. We're talking about the greatness of God. We're talking about how awesome it's going to be when he comes back, how he's going to take his bride up and all these things. And then we have the other side that's like all these people are complete idiots and, and stupid and, and all these negative things. And we're like, Jesus, please just hurry up and come back. I'm sick and tired of these people. And, uh, and, and we shouldn't be negative to one another in our anticipation for Christ. It almost, uh, it looks bad. It looks bad for the church because uh, usually we take it out on those closest to us whenever we do that. So whether it's people in our church or people in the body of Christ or whenever I say in our church, I mean in our local community of believers, we could take it out on them if they don't necessarily have the same anticipation or they don't think God's coming back today. Maybe it's going to be in a thousand years or whatever. So, uh, so let's not flip out on each other while we're waiting. We should wait patiently. And while we're waiting, we shouldn't grumble against one another. So this kind of goes along with James 4.11. If you remember over there, uh, we, we discussed this previously. But there it says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. There is one who speaks against, uh, sorry, um, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and the judges. But if you judge the law, you are a you are not a door of the law, but a judge. And uh, so do not speak evil against one another. Don't talk bad about each other, uh, especially if you're differing in your views of end times. Uh, just just don't do that. So it's important to focus on the one who can judge all. So focus on God. Focus on on Jesus um, instead of trying to be the judge of all and trying to, you know, keep everybody uh, in line with your thoughts and trying to get everybody to, to believe what you believe about the end times. Uh, the end times is a secondhand issue. It's a, it's a minor thing. It's not one of the majors of the faith. So you don't have to have the same end time views. There's not one end time view you have to have uh, to really be a follower of Christ is what I mean. So we shouldn't be fighting over that. So, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for those who suffer for Christ are going through hard times for his sake. Uh, they are assured that God is compassionate and merciful, and we should look toward the purpose uh, of God in all things. So whenever we're going through stuff, whenever we're having issues, hard times, we should be uh, remain steadfast like the prophets who came before, even like that of Job. 
So Job lost everything when he was uh, attacked by Satan. So he, he lost it all. And he did not curse or turn away from God. So looking at Job's life, and a lot of people know the story of Job, but just in case you don't, I'll just give you a quick rundown. God was in heaven. Satan came to God, and or he came at some point, and God said, hey, where you been? He said, to and fro. And God said, hey, have you seen my main man Job over there? He's a righteous man. He loves me. He serves me. Yada, yada, yada. Satan said, well, nah, if you, if you don't protect him anymore, then he will not. He will curse you. So God said, go ahead, give it a shot. See what he does. So Satan goes and attacks Job. He takes family. He takes everything he owned. He was a very wealthy man. And uh, Satan took it all. And Job never, ever cursed God. He cursed his own life, which is interesting. If you read Job, it's, it's really interesting the way that he addresses that situation. But he never curses God. And so I think whenever we're going through hard times, we're going through struggles that we should avoid cursing God, avoid blaming God. Like Job knew that God was was righteous and holy. And even if God could do something or did do something, that God was in the right in doing it. And um, so if you haven't read Job, uh, it's, it's a really good book to read. It, it is a little long. He's got some friends in there that are giving them kind of bad information almost. And uh, so, you know, you can't take everything his friends say to be gospel, but <laughs> but you got to read in context. So understand that what his friends are saying for the most part are, is not accurate. And, uh, and yeah, just try to be wise when you're reading that. So, but after all was said and done, when everything was finished, God blessed Job. Now, I think the difficult part here is when we're reading Job and we're trying to look at uh, our own life application is we try to figure out, okay, God, this, that, and the other got taken from me. Aren't I supposed to get paid back like Job? Aren't I supposed to receive all those things right now? Uh, I don't think that always happens for everybody. I believe it may happen for some, but uh, for some people that reward, everybody's reward is going to be greater in heaven than it is on earth. Everything in heaven is going to be better, greater, more beautiful than anything on earth could compare to. So... Everybody's going to get a huge reward at the end. Uh, some get a greater reward than others. We don't have the same reward necessarily because the Bible talks about different rewards, different levels of, um, of, of crowns, stuff like that. But we all will be rewarded by the same Heavenly Father. And no matter what your reward is in heaven, it's going to be greater than any reward you can get on earth. Please believe that. So, But then James briefly makes sure that he tells his brothers not to become people who make oaths. Uh, when we say we, we would do something, it should be believed because we can be trusted to keep our word. Uh, you know, it's an interesting shift. But again, this is like the book of Proverbs. It's a whole lot of sayings. It's not one big, huge story. It's a lot of different small things that he's packing together real quick. And um, But uh, so we should not try to have to convince someone by an additional oath or or an additional, you know, swearing to something or promise that we would do something or we'll refrain from, um, uh, or refrain from doing something that we said we would not do. So if we if we, if we say we're not going to do something, don't do it. If we say we're going to do it, do it. Uh, this goes along with the idea of being slow to speak. So you know, earlier in James when he says be slow to speak, uh, I think that's important because you know even myself personally, whenever I was at my old church, I would often sign up for all these areas of ministry that I felt like would be a great benefit to the church. And I'd say, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. I'd come up with the ideas. I'd try to execute it, plan it, 
you know, or plan it and execute it. Uh, and it was taking a toll on, on my family. And it was taking a toll on the other areas of ministry where I should have been more focused on because I was adding a whole bunch of stuff on top. And uh, some things I just never did. I said I was going to do it and I didn't do it. I didn't keep those commitments. And so, you know, I, it's understandable that later on whenever uh, I would, you know, say, hey, I'll do something. And then my pastor's like, uh, yeah, maybe you should try to, you know, slow down, take your time. And I'd get, you know, I'd get frustrated because I was like, well, no, I said I'll do it. I'll do it. Just believe me. But I had a history at that time of not following through with everything I would say because I was promising the world and I couldn't give the world. So I think it's important before we say we're going to do something, we should take our time, think about it, and then say it later after carefully uh, thinking through the process it takes to do something. And so it's almost like, you know, um, uh, before you build your, your, your house, you know, make sure you have all the materials. Uh, but be slow to speak, be slow to make promises, and be slow, well, be slow to speak, period. But make sure whenever you say something that uh, that your word is, is trustworthy. Because it's not only just a matter of, you know, them trusting you to do what you say you're going to do. But it's also a matter of trusting you in what you say the gospel says. Because if they can't trust you in your dependability and your actions, they're not going to believe you in your words. Uh, even when you're trying to teach them biblical truth. So I think that's very important. And that's why on this this show, this uh, Bible study, I've never said every Tuesday at this time or every Friday or every such and such day at this time we'll be going live because I can't make that commitment. And I know that. I know I can't have a certain day time frame every week where I could do this show. Same thing with Solomon's Porch Podcast. I can't promise that every day. So I don't make that commitment. And um, I just don't have that that's uh, tight of a schedule where I can do that. So, but uh, but yeah, when you give someone your word, let it be done with thoughtfulness and not without careful reasoning. So, <clears throat> moving on to verses thirteen through twenty. Um, so James is ending the letter with the focus on using our words uh, for prayer and praise. So there's an emphasis on a person praying for themselves and praying for one another. So we should be praying for one another. If a person is suffering, let them pray. Let those around the person who is suffering pray for that person. Uh, God wants to hear from us on a personal level. So he does want us to pray. He does want us to share our concerns for one another. And interesting enough, and this is just a side note, this isn't necessarily a teaching on prayer, but I've learned the more I pray for someone, the more I actually care for them. The more I actually um, give my energy and effort and time. And so, you know, a lot of times I think, you know, don't just pray for those closest to you. Pray for pray for those you might not even really, to be honest, care about too much. Uh, that'll help you to love them a little bit more. Because if you're praying for the best for someone, eventually you might start caring about that someone. I, I don't give a guarantee on that. But I've noticed in my life, in my personal prayer life, the more I prayed for someone, whether I was close to them or not, I felt the more connected with them. So if a person is suffering, let, let, let those around them pray. Uh, when we are in need, we should go to God with our request. Now, I'll say this has been difficult for me uh, throughout my adult life. I never want to ask God things for myself, but you know, I, I do see that people do pray for in Scripture uh, for their needs as well. But the the core focus of prayer really is on other people. But it's not bad to ask God for a personal request. I mean, 
even our prayers for others is still somewhat personal because we want them to be better. We want them to get through this trial and trauma. Uh, that's still kind of personal because it's our desire for them to do that, right? So, uh, so even though it's selfless, it's for someone else, you know, it's still something that we want. And so I don't think it's wrong to pray for God to help you uh, get through a situation, to get through an illness, to uh, get a better living situation. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. God wants to hear from us on a personal level. Now, when we are in need, uh, we should go to God with a request. When we are cheerful or happy, we should praise God. I think this is an area many people forget. They forget that when things are good, thank God. One of the things I try to do whenever I pray in my daily prayer, I thank God for all the things in my life. I thank God for him loving me. I thank him for his grace, his mercy. That's how I lead all of my prayers because I know more than anything else on earth that's going on, he loves me. He has shown me grace. He has shown me mercy. Those are three things that exist in God that I'm grateful for that have nothing to do with anything on earth. And then I'm grateful for the things, you know, for my family, my wife, my kids, um, you know, everything else is, is, is secondary to God's love, grace, and mercy. So, and I do pray for people who are in need and things like that, but uh, I praise God. So if, if a prayer is answered, if, if someone's marriage is doing better, I thank God for that. When someone gets a new job, that seems to be something they fit better at. When someone gets over an illness, when someone um, wins a game, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, I praise God. I'm like, thank you, Lord, that this is something that happened. Uh, because it, it keeps me joyful and happy, and it lets me not forget that God is the source of all great things in our lives. So let's give them uh, thanks in areas we find joy. James then says that if anyone is sick, he should be brought before the elders, uh, those spiritually mature, to be prayed over, uh, to pray over them with anointing of olive oil. So, uh, so the word "sick" means to to be weak. Okay, so this can mean physically illness. It can mean emotionally unwell. It can mean spiritually weak. Doesn't necessarily just mean physically sick. So, biblical authors have used uh, this word in many ways. Uh, the use of the phrase anointing with oil is not the phrase that means uh, ceremonially ceremonially anoint, but rub with oil. So uh, the same uses for this phrase is used in a couple other scriptures. So we're going to look at those real quick. So we have uh, in Luke 7:46, it says, uh, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed anointed them with the ointment and so this is just a way of you know an anointment you know a lot of people see this they see he's anointing him he's getting him ready for burial uh things like that we also have uh, a little bit further down uh luke seven forty six. you did not anoint my head with oil but she anointed my feet with ointment and so and this whole thing talks about uh being anointed and and oil and all that stuff and then the next one over here, Matthew 6, 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Anoint your head, wash your face. Uh, this isn't necessarily a ceremonially anointing like we normally see in churches. Not that ceremonially ceremonial anointing is wrong or bad, but that's not exactly what this, this doesn't mean that specifically, okay? 
Uh, it's fine to do that. It's fine to be anointed with oil in church, uh, have elders lay their hands on you. Uh, but you think, too, like in that time, a lot of sick people were at home. So, like, they didn't come to a huge gathering and come up to the front of the church and be anointed. Like, the elders would go to their house, and they would anoint them there at their house. So, the use of anointing is, is more of a refreshing, honoring, and uplifting practice. So, you know, another thing, too, is, you know, there was... Uh, you had a, a oils that were, uh, so like there's a lot of people right now that sell essential oils. So there's some that are medicinal. So you could think of some of the oils being like that, like medicinal oils. Like they actually were medical uses for them. It wasn't just a random oil. Um, so you don't have to just use olive oil. I don't think, I don't think there's a special oil. Uh, but you know, also just, you know, cleanliness washing with oil, clean stuff off or whatever, uh, different types of oil. And so either way, just um, there's there's multiple reasons to be anointed with oil, but uh, don't think of it as just being brought in front of a church. Uh, I'm going to say this in love, but great elders wouldn't just wait for someone to come to church to anoint them with oil. They would travel to where they are and do that. So uh, just kind of want to say that with a little bit of carefulness and so it, the church shouldn't be waiting for someone to show up to be anointed uh, especially if it's someone that's in the body already and you know they're sick then you should go and pray for them i mean obviously with wisdom you're not going to walk into a house if someone's got covid and try to lay hands and stuff like that you know be, be wise about it um, but at the same time points there so uh, when we confess our weaknesses, sins, illnesses to one another, and pray for one another, we will find healing. Now, uh, this isn't an absolute. <laughs> uh, let me go back to the verse because I want to make sure that we are, you know, trying to scripture. Sorry, not that. Went to the wrong thing. So let me go to down here. Therefore, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So it's not an absolutely, it's not a thing where every single time someone is sick, that if you anoint them with the oil, they will be healed. This is, when you understand a proverb, when you understand um, what is being said, it's a generality, okay? doesn't happen with everybody every single time. So I think whenever people build a theology like a, a foolproof theology not foolproof but a absolute theology off of a proverb there's a mistake being made okay so we got to understand that if someone is sick and you anoint them with oil and pray over them it still might not be answered okay i just kind of wanted to make that point and um and i will say that uh, it's dangerous to think otherwise so, but, uh, now I'm going to go to the other way where there's still healing. You're either physically healed here on earth or you will be healed in heaven, right? And so I don't want to negate, uh, healing that happens in heaven where there is no pain. There is no scars. There is no sickness or, or trauma or death. Like in heaven, there is no sickness period. So there is healing one way or another. And I know people are going to say, well, that's a cop-out, man. That's just a cop-out. No, it's, it's true. It really is true. Because 
that's just that, that's just a reality. So, uh, so the prayers of the righteous do have power. Now, James compares Elijah to the um, Elijah to the Jews of that time, saying that uh, there was the same nature and reminded them of his powerful prayer that took place in First Kings eighteen. If you remember, First Kings eighteen, I didn't bring up the scripture because it was a lot of scripture. Uh, it's, it's a whole story, so can't necessarily read the whole thing i could but it's too much time uh so he's amongst the prophet of baals the prophet of baal and they're out there and they're um no he, he pretty much has a competition he says hey i'm gonna do this thing and you know my god's gonna uh, show up and your god's gonna not show up right so you know he he prays and prays and um essentially he goes like three years and three months i think i have to go to the scripture scripture and and he prays for no rain at all at all and it doesn't rain. And then he prays for rain, and it rains. And then the, the Baal, the prophets of Baal, they did all sorts of stuff, and, you know, Baal didn't answer their prayer. And he, he ends up mocking him a little bit, which is interesting to see. Um, you know, I look at Elijah, and I'm like, oh, so we can mock others. I, I, I try not to mock others. Uh, just, I don't do that, but it was just, it's kind of a funny story if you want to go read First Kings 18. But he's like, oh, your God must be, you know, sleeping or taking a nap, or he must be tired after a long day's work uh it's a very interesting story but uh essentially the interesting thing about elijah is that right after he displayed this great power of prayer uh and faith through the strength of god he then later hides in fear of a woman who made a threat to him so uh but we have to remember that uh power of prayer in our words uh and live confidently that god can answer prayer no matter what the circumstances may look like we have to remember that that prayer does have power Okay, we're told to pray a lot throughout scripture. We see prayer a lot throughout scripture. So we should do it. We should pray for others. We should pray for ourselves. And we should trust that whatever happens, uh, that, that God uh, remains all-powerful. That all the power is in God. That the, now I will say this. Prayer is powerful, but it's the prayer and the, and the faith that we have in God um that that's kind of our duty but god is ultimately the one that that makes anything happen so if a prayer is answered it's the power of god not the power of just our prayer okay i know it's kind of hard to understand uh i don't have a complete accurate teaching on the power of prayer uh versus the power of god i think they work together i think prayer god uh responds to prayer uh, um what I see throughout scripture. Otherwise, I don't understand why Paul would tell us to pray if God didn't respond to it. And so I believe God does respond to prayer. I think we should pray. But the power is not just in our prayer. It's not in a formula of prayer. It's not in a way that we pray. But it is in God himself who answers the prayer. So, uh, but he can answer the prayer no matter what the circumstance may look like. So, James then, and we're going to end the chapter, end the book. Uh, he keeps... Uh, he has a call to keep each other in the body walking straight. And, <laughs> man, this can be a very complicated topic. Uh, judge not lest you be judged. Um, all sorts of stuff, you know. Don't, you know, the woman at the, uh, the, the woman who was brought to Jesus in, in John 8, uh, beginning of John 8. Uh, all sorts of stuff, right? We see this, and the idea is, you know, we shouldn't judge one another. But, um, but 
James says here, and we'll go to it. Verse 19, 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, so uh, in Matthew 18, 15, we'll jump there real quick. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So we we are called to address sin. We're called to do that. Let me bring that back up for you real quick. I'm sorry. So right here, uh, and all this is in the ESV. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Uh, it's important to bring people back from their sin. Uh, we are called to do it, and we're not called to let them uh, suffer in sin. So as believers in a particular body, we should keep one, each other, uh, keep one another accountable. The people of God ha uh, already have a tough battle with the principalities that are not of this world. It's already a tough fight as it is. We got a lot of things around us, a lot of sin in the world, a lot of issues that we all have personally. Uh, it's good to have someone there battling with us. I mean, you know, if you were in a, <laughs> uh, trying to think of a good example, you know, if you're in a gunfight with the enemy, you don't have your gun pointed the right way, you're pointing it anywhere you want to, uh, it's good for your brother to help you you know, narrow or, or, or give you a better focus on where that attack uh, is. You know, if you're trying to defend yourself from an attack from an enemy, uh, it's good to have someone there that says, hey, the attack's coming from here. This is where you need to defend yourself, right? So in, in spiritual language, this is where you need to, to be careful with sin. The enemy attacks us with our sin. Uh, sin is a method of death. Sin brings death. If someone is sinning, then that is a source of death that's in their life. Yes, Christ overrides that death, but we're still called to bring them away from the death. You know, and uh, I think it's Galatians, it talks about like drowning in sin. You see someone drowning, you know, don't just put a snorkel in there and say, hey, you can breathe a little bit. You know, you can stay in there and, 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 and be covered in water and splash around. You know, here's a little bit of airway. Uh, I'm not going to pull you out of that because I want you to have your liberty, you know. Um, no, we should bring people back to the faith. We should bring them back to biblical truth. Uh, the people of God already have enough battle with principalities as it is. Like I said, when we're walking in a biblical approach to all areas of life, we will be protected from many of the pitfalls that can spiritually and or physically attack us. So, again, in the same way, if a truck's riding by, you got your friend walking across the street. You're going to pull them out from in front of the truck. So when you see sin approaching someone, you pull them away from that sin. You try to get them away from it. At, at bare minimum, you warn them. You say, hey, there's a truck coming. You let them know, hey, this is a sin. It can ruin your life. Whether you think so or not, whether it feels good or not, it can ruin your life. Jesus died and rose so that we could have the Holy Spirit dwell within us and now we can walk in the purpose and the will of the Father. So the Holy Spirit does guide us. But I think whenever we are living in sin, we're quenching the Holy Spirit. We're quenching his, his guiding us. We're not listening to, to his direction for our lives. And um, 
and I think we can ignore the Holy Spirit. And I think you can be a believer and ignore the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think that is a thing. Because Paul says, again, in Galatians, you know, you've got your flesh fighting your spirit, man. It's a fight. I think at times we can give points to the, the flesh instead of the spirit. So, um, and in that, in our, in our walk, in doing that, we will be servants of him and to the body that we belong. So, I think uh, the interesting thing is this, this whole entire book. Uh, letter from James it is a bunch of do's and don't do's right there's a whole lot of direction instruction correction going on in here and then he ends it with hey for all of you out there all, all the church you know he's, at this point he's right into the dispersion of the Jews um, and it's you know it's two believers two two Jewish Christians and he's telling or you know Jewish followers of the Messiah however you want to label that and he's telling him he's like hey look Keep each other in line, okay? The, the body is going to do much better united against sin, being for one another. Uh, stay with one another. Love each other. Um, and I think that's important. I think when we're reading through Scripture, we're, we're doing the study, and, and we remember, you know, whenever we have, you know, friends, coworkers at work that tend to get angry, we tell them, hey, bite your tongue. Shh, don't say anything. Don't respond in anger, right? That's a form of correction. That's something that we should do. Uh, you know, if we're at a, uh, you know, if we're in our body of Christ, and 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 one elder gets upset with another elder, you know, shh, hold your tongue, be slow to anger, be quick to listen. Things like this should happen. We should be watching out for one another, trying to keep one another accountable, and uh, and I think if we do that, we will be in a uh, in a great place. I believe the church will be in a stronger place. Um, you know, I, I think that is a form of loving one another is by correcting one another, like James says here at the end of his letter. So that is the conclusion to the study of James. Man, it's been a good one. I have enjoyed it. Um, love the book of James. It's very helpful for me. A lot of the one-liners come from James, uh, New Testament one-liners that aren't taken out of context. And so uh, let me know what you think. Uh, I am going to be doing the Gospel of John next. So uh, I don't know when I'm going to start it, uh, but I'm going to try to get that started here soon. And uh, if you have any questions or anything, put them in the comments. Uh, if the video has been helpful for you, uh, please share. Uh, it's always appreciated. And if you want to support this uh, Bible study content, uh, let me know and I can give you a link to do that. We have a patreon.com slash Bible with Bordeaux. Um, uh, if you want to be like a monthly supporter or whatever. And then uh, if you have any uh, questions, I do individual like Q&A sessions. or not Q&A sessions, but I answer questions via video. So I have one that I'm working on right now that uh, a friend of mine, uh, another gentleman named Jason, asked me on Facebook uh, about a month or so ago. And I, I've been slacking. So I'm going to be answering that soon. Hopefully it'll be up uh, within a week. And until next time, I love y'all. Thank you for paying attention. Thank you for watching. And I hope this has been helpful.